Hey, I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for downloading this time what it's like being freelance for animator and designer Fraser Davidson. You're known for what you do. People don't come to you and ask you to do things they don't think you can do. You go to university or whatever, you study design or animation or photography or anything. And to then sort of only spend your time working on professional paid work is just, it's crazy. I mean, you know, you're 90% of the way to doing exactly what you want and get paid for it. And it seems crazy not to sort of try and go the rest of the way. I don't tend to find that it's necessarily your job role that dictates when you get paid. It's, it's sort of how aggressively you chase the money. Nice guys get paid last. If you're not going to kick up a fuss, then it's, it's not going to happen. Here we go with another one, and this time around finding out what it's like being freelance, kind of, for Fraser Davidson, who's a BAFTA award-winning director, animator, and designer, but now actually kind of running his own business, so we're going to find out about that. Well, not kind of, he is. <laughs> um, hey, Fraser, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks very much. So... Yeah, why don't you tell us, like, um, kind of like your route through being freelance and ending up where you are today, really? Um, sure. So I worked for, I think, six, nearly six years at a company called Mainframe, um, who are who initially kind of started out really as a sort of motion graphics and animation house. We did a lot of stuff for people like MTV, VH1, those kinds of channels, and sort of it gradually kind of, you know, as, as mainframe sort of gathered success, um, became more sort of in line with the motion graphics VFX kind of um, house. We did more kind of advertising um, for people like Nike and Harrods and, and uh, the like. And at that point, um, the company sort of had changed to the extent that it, it sort of was no longer really in the sort of uh, the sweet spot of... of um, where I wanted to be as, as an animator, the kind of work that I wanted to do, sort of narrative-led and, you know, character-based stuff. So um, I left to become a freelancer, which I was, I guess, really sort of, uh, I guess, the best part of three, three and a half years. Uh, initially, sort of going in-house, working for uh, companies like the, the company I used to work for, um, other people like Creative Nuts and... Um, but only really for a sort of short time before I kind of decided I, I wanted to be a freelancer, but I wanted to sort of work in my own studio space. So I worked out of the uh, Found Collective's uh, studio, a couple of guys I used to work with at Mainframe um, uh, in um, Hoxton. So I'd work with them uh, occasionally on bits and pieces that they were doing, but mostly, for the most part, kind of for my own clients. Um, and... After sort of a, a year or so of that, I managed to kind of acquire a couple of the guys I used to work with at Mainframe who were sort of, you know, started at the same time as me and kind of had similar style and interest um, in character and narrative pieces. Um, and we sort of, we started a little collective of um, freelancers uh, called Sweet Crude, which ran for a couple of years uh, out of uh, another sort of Hoxton office. We took on a little office of our own, and there were sort of between three and five of us at any one point, uh, sort of up until the point it, it it became clear that that wasn't really kind of working out for any of us, really. We wanted to kind of do slightly different things. So um, kind of it, it fairly organically dissolved. And um, myself and uh, my current business partner, um, 
I say current business partner, that's terrible. My <laughs> business partner, <clears throat> um, uh, Ben Skinner, uh, set up uh, Cub Studio, which has been running for uh, a year now. Nice. So a nice route through and a dabbling in pretty much everything, frankly, uh, including sort of like that collective. So, so what would feel different about a collective, uh, do you think? Well, I guess a collective really is kind of, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a front really, you know, it's a, it's money laundering. It's sort of a, a means, <laughs> it's a means to appear legitimate when you, when you aren't, um, uh, it's, it's a good way to kind of, um, you know, collectively kind of have, you know, promote work together, but also it's, it's just a kind of way to, um, look like a proper company, uh, but you know, have the, have all the sort of outgoings of a man in a bedroom, you know, it's, uh, it's, um, oh, yeah, I see. It's just, it's just, that's, that was really the idea, I guess, to an extent. And, and would you say that you, you learned lessons along the way f- through being a collective that you then bought into actually having a company? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The main lesson being you should never have a collective. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, that's, that's not necessarily true. I mean, we, we all get along fine. We're all, friends and everything but it's you know it's kind of herding cats those those guys are perfectly happy on their own doing their own stuff and I guess um it's not fair for me to kind of ask them to like you know sort of you know follow me into doing whatever I'm I'm looking to do just because uh, just because I sort of happen to be part of the same little group you know so you know it works up to an extent so when you were freelancing um and not necessarily going in you know, you you mentioned like going into other production houses and stuff. But mm. if you were freelancing on your own clients, how were those clients finding you? Um, well, I mean, I, I'd worked for quite a while. Uh, initially, I'd worked for quite a while um, at Mainframe and kind of done little bits and pieces on the side, sort of projects. I had a I worked um, for. I guess about three years uh, with um, uh, a bunch of other guys on a project called the Alternative Rugby Commentary, which was um, uh, God, it's really difficult to explain, but it's um, <laughs> basically a live staged event. They turned down the volume on the Sky feed, and uh, a four hundred pound Polynesian gentleman named Jed uh, does a sort of live comedic commentary to the action. Um, he's a former player, so my kind of role in that was sort of promotion and producing sort of animated content to promote live events and just sort of generally for for other bits and pieces. Um, you can still kind of see all of that stuff at arcrugby.co.nz. Um, so that was kind of initially how uh, how I how I got a lot of work off the back of that outside of mainframe. So have um, you always kept side projects? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it's entirely, to my mind, it's just essential. I mean, you know, you, 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 you sort of, you go to university or whatever, you, you study design or animation or photography or anything, and to then sort of only spend your time working on, um, you know, professional paid work is just—it's crazy. I mean, you know, you're you're sort of you're essentially you know ninety percent of the way to doing exactly what you want and get paid for it. And it seems crazy not to sort of try and go the rest of the way and um, 
you know, th- through things like the alternative rugby commentary, people would things that I would do for free. People then would come and say, "Okay, can you just do that for me?" And here's a here's a slightly different logo to stick on the end. Um, at which point, you know, that's 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 the dream, isn't it? You're just <laughs> doing doing what you want for, for and people will pay you for it. So you've now got a company, so Cub Studio. Yep. So how are you finding that different? Yeah. So, I mean, the way it works, um, I'm, you know, initially I, I was kind of the animator and Ben, um, was kind of, I get, you know, MD and to all intents and purposes, everything else. Um, we've now got a couple of staff and, uh, what, what it initially meant was that I wasn't doing any of the kind of, um, the production and just you know general kind of paperwork and whatnot that you have to do when you're doing and you know signing NDAs and all that kind of thing that takes you away from the actual practice of making things and from my point of view just immediately kind of just took a huge burden off my shoulders of doing that and and sort of having to think about those things by having somebody else to do that so that was kind of the, the sort of immediate benefit of it but I mean you know then you sort of find that you have too much work for one person to do um you take on staff and then uh, you know the the big sort of issue then is that you you know you have to plan and manage somebody else's time as well as your own um and you know if you're if you're essentially like me and you know you have a you have a degree in coloring in that's kind of a a whole new uh (laughs) a whole new skill set that you have to kind of learn to learn to master but um and you know like you know like anything it's something you kind of pick up only with experience and you know only a year in so i'm I'm not the person to ask as to how good of a (laughs) good of a boss i am or manager interesting that you've founded a company though where you can have the role that you want within it by the sounds of it because i i imagine that some people might end up running a company and it takes them away from what they were passionate about whereas actually you're doing more of it yeah i mean well that's kind of the <clears throat> you know the, the great sort of tragedy of lots of these things isn't that you have extremely kind of at the, at the moment you kind of are at the sort of peak of your you know creativity and everything you often find yourself taken away from doing exactly what you want um and lots of people transition into that really really well i've got you know i've worked with the guys at places like man versus machine and analog who are extraordinarily skilled at what they do in their, you know, great ideas, guys, incredible uh, VFX people, you know, like the, 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 you know, the top guys in the business and lots of them, you know, now they've got their own companies, um, having been at mainframe, um, you know, sort of transition really well into managerial roles and sort of, you know, oversight and just sort of creative directing and, and having other people do the, you know, do the sort of, uh, the legwork, but, the, the sort of nature of what I do is that the actual production of it in a way is so is so simple and doesn't require teams of people to do that you know I like it, it it's extremely enjoyable so that the last thing I wanted to do was find that I was just handing all the things I wanted to do to other people um and and managing that so so yeah it's been you know that was kind of always the goal um to you know just free up my time to, to, as, to as great an extent as possible. Now that you've got that, do, do you feel the burden of having to get enough work or is it simply that that's passed to somebody else to sort out? Well... But, but you know, as in it's not just you and your yeah. bank account, there's staff, there's other people. 
Yeah, and you know, like my, it, it, in a way, it's you know, it's like a sieve. Money, money pisses out of uh, you know <laughs> of every corner of the company um, <clears throat> for various things. You know, like just rent. You know, obviously you have to pay people. Um, Damn but, uh, them! Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, I guess it's concerned. Like you know, it's, it's sort of everything becomes higher octane. You know, you have to sort of feed the beast to, to you know, quite an extent just to turn over. Um, but I mean, we, I mean, we to be perfectly honest, we're extremely lucky, and the, because we're sort of relatively niche, we've we've managed to not have to really dog after too much work. You know, like a lot of stuff's kind of come our way, and we've been extremely lucky in that regard. But, you know, like that's not always going to be the case. And so, although I can't really answer the question properly at the moment, like, I, yeah, I can imagine it's sort of, there's going to be a pressure to um, to do that. And especially, you know, with a with a sort of bigger wage bill, more people to feed and, you know, who are relying on you. Yeah. You mentioned the niche there. I often hear, you know, people saying, oh, you've got a niche, you've got a niche down. <laughs> um, so what's your guy's niche and was that on purpose or you know yeah we, um, one of my friend my american friends knit, say niches to niches to riches niches for riches <laughs> but it doesn't really work if you pronounce it properly yeah. niches for riches niches um, every time i hear an american podcast that makes me jar most words yeah. i've got used to their pronunciations but niche every time niches. yeah so so yeah how did you find your um, niche i get well again i mean like you know if our if our niche is you know, we explain sporting stuff <laughs> in the way that we do. I mean, again, like that came from um, the alternative rugby commentary stuff. That's really where that all started. Oh. And then, you know, things that are made subsequently, like um, the guide to American football, you know, that's kind of, you're known for what you do. People don't come to you and ask you to do things they don't think you can do. So if that's our niche, then yeah, that's kind of like, that's come about because of those things. And it's, it's the, 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 I guess the direction that we sort of tentatively set out in, you know, we contacted a few people like that, but it seems to sort of um, have become for, you know, for better or worse, it's, it's where we're at the moment. And it's, it's the kind of, the kind of work that we're producing and we've got some projects with very nice kind of sporting institutions that we're, that we're currently working on that will, I, I guess, kind of, you know, feedback into that loop. It's interesting. Like the first animation of yours that I saw, was uh, promoting a book, but using the analogy of American football, yeah, and uh, politics, uh, and it was brilliant. But here's the thing: at the end of it, your name actually came up. Now, and I sat there and I thought, that's rare. Like so often, I see things and I think I've no idea who made that. I no idea who did this. Now, is that something that you've always insisted upon, or? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I didn't ask permission to make that piece. I took the audio from um, Bill Maher's audio book. Um, I just, I, I heard it and just thought, right, that's brilliant. I have to, I have to make that. Um, so I took it, I took it from there, <laughs> put the book top and tail and linked to, you know, on all my sort of Vimeo and all the places that I posted the video, I linked to the, um, the places you could buy it on Amazon and, uh, and and iTunes, and hope that they wouldn't sue me for stealing their <laughs> copyright stuff. There's always it's always easier to beg forgiveness than ask permission, and um, yeah. So that's so I took that there, and then yeah, I mean, if I, it took fucking ages. Of course, I'm going to put my name on the end of it. <laughs> like you want you want some credit for it. So um, 
Oh, yeah, no, I mean, that, no, well, really now it makes sense. That. So it was no, because it was something you did off your own back. I pres- yeah, yeah. I presumed they got you to do that to promote the book, but actually, no. This this that's hold that that whole yeah. calling card of the style of what you guys do. Yeah, I mean, well, any. I mean, yeah. There are quite a few of the pieces are things I've done off my own back. The work with people like Tim Minchin and Tim Key, the Bill Maher piece that you referenced. There's a piece um, I, I stole some BBC audio from an interview with Richard Feynman that they did, um, and uh, yeah, again, that was you know a case of you know begging begging forgiveness afterwards and hoping that you know like they liked it and it ended. You know, the BBC ended up actually reusing the uh, the animation for a you know for sort of the the, the um, you know, the, the sort of anniversary of his his death or something like that, and um, yeah, like you know, I think people are sort of receptive to it as long as you're kind of respectful of the material and, and you know, hold your hands up and just sort of say you know, don't shoot and um, yeah, like I, I, you know, and then you get to put your name on the end as well, and that's yeah, yeah, that's kind of how people see it, I guess. Brilliant. Uh, well, there's a good advice. I see a load of people writing that down. Right, Nick stuff. <laughs> ask for forgiveness. Borrow it. Borrow it. You don't <laughs> steal it. Yeah. The thing is, though, is that you weren't directly profiteering from that. You know, no, you weren't selling it for people to buy. Um, no. Speaking of selling things, and you know, you mentioned the financial side of it a little bit earlier. When you were in that freelance zone for three and a half years or whatever. Uh, how did you cope with that? Like, had you seen enough freelancers come and go to learn from them while you were employed at a company? Or, um, yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, in a, not in a way, I guess. I mean, I learned very, very quickly to be candid that um, you know, if you if you're in an, if you're in somebody else's office, they know what you're doing all day. <laughs> they, you know, they know what they owe you because you're there. If you're working you know away from away from the office <clears throat> and it wasn't that i was necessarily taking you know like charging day rates for things but i'd try and negotiate project fees and say hey look you're going to get a final product out of me it's going to you know have this sort of level of quality and this is going to be the price now b- between here and the agreed deadline i get to do you know p- providing i provide you with that service i get to do whatever i like and i'll spend my time how i choose and i'll get up at 6am and finish at 4 or whatever i want and um you know you don't have to worry about that and you don't have to worry about the cost going up if i'm slow you know it's that and i i think the thing was that um i'm i'm for for better or ill i'm i'm very quick um so it doesn't necessarily behoove me to be in an office like, you know, just killing it every day for the same money as the guy who next to me, who's, you know, <laughs> taken his, taking his time. Yeah. Um, so I get, I, I, you know, very quickly that just became obvious. Like, you know, you can, you can earn day rates at a time effectively by, you know, by just sort of having three projects on the go that you kind of manage. And that, that was fairly straightforward. Because one, one thing I had heard, uh, we interviewed a mo- uh, motion designer, Stu, uh, mm. a while back. And he, he, he was kind of lamenting the fact that m- motion designers often are the last to get paid and yet they're the first to do the work. Uh, I think this is possibly more in a broadcast sense, i.e. Right. You've, you've done something really early on in a production process and yet, you know, it could be weeks or months. It was like three months he hadn't been paid and stuff like that. Uh, but, got, really? uh, but it sounds like perhaps you've avoided that kind of scenario. Well, it, 
I mean, it's interesting. Like you, you, I, I don't tend to find that it's necessarily your job role that dictates when you get paid. It's it's sort of how aggressively you chase the money. Um, nobody wants to be called every day by me in a strop asking for you know where's my where's my money. <laughs> um, so it's not it's not the fun side of things, but it's you. I know. I, I guess I quickly learned that. It's not about, you know, when they tell you, okay, oh, yes, we've got a payment run at the end of the week and it doesn't go through. And they go, oh, I'm so sorry, Fraser. But yeah, well, it's going to be, it'll be the next week. Um, you don't wait till the next week. You say, oh, no, well, you said it was going to be this Friday, so you need to sort this out now. Like, you've made a mistake and I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of pocket. It's persistence and badgering and sort of very last case scenario, mild threats, I guess, kind of, you know, get you paid. But if, if you're... You know, if you're somebody who will, you know, accept the sort of uh, the the old, oh, I'm so, I'm terribly sorry. That's 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 going to go through next week. Don't you worry about it. it it's not going to go through next week. It's going to be, you know, it's, with this, you know, it's just the, the sort of facts of life that some companies, you know, nice guys get paid last. If you're not going to kick up a fuss, then it's it's not going to happen. Yeah. So I, I would I would say anyway. so. Be stern or be annoying or both. Was the, I, yeah, uh, I think. Yeah. I, you know horses for courses it depends on the client and it depends on you but i mean you know yeah i i extremely uh i have a friend who's extremely persistent and she's you know four and a half feet tall and extraordinarily nice but you know she gets she gets paid on time because she's uh yeah she's uh she's on the phone if she's not so we always do this thing where i'd like you to tell me three facts about yourself or your career make two true one a lie and then let me figure out the lie what have you got for me <laughs> okay uh i have painted over a banksy um my father was an international sportsman and the third fact is that i've met all four remaining pythons of monty python Oh, that would be good. Or would it? Would it be awkward? Uh, how, well, tell me, how was it? Where did you meet the pythons? Well, my um, my cousin uh, lives opposite uh, Michael Palin. I've just realised there's five of them, yeah. So um, I've met uh, Gillingham and Jones together at a voiceover recording. At a separate voiceover recording, I've met um, Cleese, and um, as a child, apparently, I um, shook hands with Eric Idle. <laughs> I presumed it was going to be all at once. Brilliant. No, it's, no, no. It's mm. like you went around collecting them. <laughs> uh, but you don't remember Eric Idle. That's a shame. No, I don't remember it, no. Uh, your dad is an international sportsman. Was. What sport? Uh, hockey, believe it or not. So did he play for... Great Scotland and bank you painted over a Banksy. <laughs> yeah, I painted over a Banksy. Now you would have known what a Banksy was. Well, surely it, 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 it. I sort of have a vague recollection of it. it. Was at university and it was outside our flat, and um, we were having a party, and um, we were kind of tidying up the uh, sort of area, and it, I, <laughs> I painted over it. And this was sort of this was about twelve years ago. So although you know, oh, we right. sort of had a prominence he didn't he certainly wasn't an international megastar and i think it kind of just although i think some of my flatmates were fairly horrified it wasn't that big of a deal and so you're you're turning up after a party you think somebody's graffitied the house and so you painted it was actually before the party i was sort of i was we were trying to make the front of the house look presentable and there's a load of graffiti on our um 
on a wall outside our house and uh, and I and I painted over it. Uh, something's not ringing true here. You were a student who was tidying up before a party <laughs> outside the house. Yeah. I think that might be the giveaway. Surely, what student tidies up before a party outside the house? Um, that. No, it's got to be that because, um, I mean, the Pythons, clearly you've done some very cool stuff. Uh, so you might well have met them in recording booths or something. A sportsman dad sounds utterly convincing. Fraser <laughs> Davidson, sort of Fraser Scottish name. Uh, Banksy. No, yeah, Banks is not true. You didn't. Uh, actually, I've not met any of the pythons. Ah! What? None of them? <laughs> no. Well, then my cousin does, does live over the road from one of them, but the, the rest of that was bullshit. <laughs> You're... I, I did paint over what I believe is was a Banksy. There's, there's a few of the same. It's the um, person sitting on... Uh, Queen Victoria sitting on the woman's face, and there's a few of them in the surrounding kind of area of, uh, in, in the town, which are legitimate Banksies and ours. It would be it would be fairly um, fairly crazy if it wasn't one of them as well. So I do, as far as I know, I painted over a Banksy. Uh, amazing. Was yeah. it rented accommodation? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I would have loved it if that was on your itinerary when it came to moving out. I'm sorry, there was uh, five coat hangers in the wardrobe. There should be four saucepans in the drawer and a Banksy on the front of the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So amazing. Yeah. I'm kind of disappointed you haven't met the Pythons though. Although maybe Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> for a moment there it felt good, didn't it? And yay for your dad. <laughs> um by the way, I meant to ask you, um uh the the BAFTA award winning part of your description. Yes. Uh, that I used at the beginning. Um when did that come about? Was that something that you animated for a channel, for example? Or yes. Ah, right. it was the uh, it's for the BBC, um, the TV show, The Revolution Will Be Televised. Uh, we produced all the uh, on-screen graphics, but actually, we didn't do the title sequence for some reason. We they, they got somebody else to do that because we just didn't have time. Yeah, so we weren't necessarily actually we weren't actually sitting <laughs> we weren't sitting at the front of the you know just sort of in front of the stage for the BAFTAs but the guy when we sort of were announced as, the, as as winners the guy um at the end of our row who was kind of part of their broader production team just said well fuck it I'm going so we all just followed his lead and th- nobody stopped us walking onto the stage so yeah we made it onto TV and everything it was great yeah. <laughs> now if you could tell yourself or your younger self one thing about being freelance what would it be God, there's just, there's too many things. If there's something of, I, it's sort of a, a sort of broad, nebulous idea, really. But it's the idea that you don't necessarily do yourself favors by over delivering. Um, I think sort of when you start out, often as a, a freelancer, you're very very keen to impress clients, and um, you sort of inadvertently and accidentally set the bar extremely high for your day. You know, <laughs> for your. Uh, for your day rate and um i think sort of more generally that you know appearing you know along that vein appearing kind of cheap or very very good value doesn't necessarily in the minds of your clients um uh instill a sense of value they you know they, they will see you as the cheaper option um forever like you it, it that that's sort of been my you know the clients that I've worked very cheaply for do never want to pay any more than that. Mm. You know, so I think it's sort of that's something I would I, I, I guess I would tell my younger me. Um, 
that uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, you know you there is a sort of um, there is a desire to there is a want to sort of undersell yourself at first, and it, it's not necessarily helpful going forwards. Yeah, that's a great a great bit of advice. Actually, it can be tough, of course, when you've got bills to pay. Absolutely. But- but you're yeah totally right um thank you so much we shall um uh wrap it up pretty much but where can people find you online see the sort of stuff you're up to yeah um you can see all our stuff at cubstudio.com cubstudio.com as ever we'll put a link to that and uh, other things on our website beingfreelance.com and uh, yeah do check out some of Fraser's animations because they're great uh, thanks so much and normally I say best of luck being freelance but best of luck being in charge and um, <laughs> and yeah best of luck with the future thanks man cheers if you've only just discovered being freelance then you may have missed it's a huge difference between consultancy and freelance. I think a good consultant should never get hired twice because you should have fixed everything. It means that I've constantly got to find new business. You need to build up a reputation first. You can't just go in with a high rate and say, hi, I'm here, without proving yourself first. One of the most liberating things I've done in the last few months is to actually say, I want to work with these sorts of people. I don't need to just take anyone as a client. If you can target a sector, you can then hone your website and your marketing to those people. And that's made a real difference to me. It starts to grow when you actually divide your time up and outsource it to other people so you can be carrying on doing the things that you're good at. I've actually just wrote myself a list. How can I make money? (laughs) It was as simple as that. Find loads of great interviews at beingfreelance.com. And of course, subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Please share it with other freelancers or those thinking of going that way. And thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate it. Have a great week being freelance.